This is a warning to those tuning in to Conjuring Curiosities. This podcast might contain graphic explanations of death and disease, incidents of violence, discussions of injury in extreme depth, infant mortality, and possible mention of other topics and practices throughout the Victorian era that might unsettle, disturb, or possibly harm you and your mental health. If you think yourself steadfast enough, then get comfortable. And thank you for tuning in. Welcome to Conjuring Curiosities, a podcast that delves into the weirdest and most macabre history of the Victorian era. My name is Clara Herbert. And I'm Sabrina, the modern day witch. So this is sort of a follow up from the corset episode. I know we split it into two now, but this was, believe it or not, originally just going to be one episode where I do corsets and all of the under things. So, (laughs) oh my God. (laughs) Thanks for saving that. (laughs) Yeah. So now we're talking about misconceptions people have about other Victorian underwear. It was definitely a very different system than what we have now, but in my opinion, it actually did make sense in its own way. I think the thing that just really confuses people is all the layers. So we're going to go layer by layer and explain each purpose and maybe some misconceptions. I'm primarily covering women's undergarments because they were more complicated, but I'll mention men when the layers are applicable. Okay. So the first layer for women would be the chemise, or chemise, whatever you want to say. It's basically French for dress, I'm pretty sure. Chemise. Chemise. Um, (laughs) It was basically like a knee-length nightgown, and it was there to soak up most of the sweat. It would always go underneath the corset so that it could be washed more often in place of a corset. Knee-length? Yeah. For a corset. No, no, no. The sh- the chemise would be knee length. Oh, oh, oh. Sorry. I was like, wait a minute. That would look fucking odd. There were some pretty long line corsets, but not not quite that long. <laughs> also, the chemise made wearing a corset way more comfortable. That was kind of something we were talking about in the corset episodes as well. Yeah. The next layer is drawers, which is the closest thing they had to modern day underwear. Some women wore them over a corset and some underneath, and there was also the option to wear combinations, which was a chemise and drawers in one. Basically like a little onesie. (laughs) Which was considered scandalous when they were invented, because it would make undressing faster. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, how scandy. Yeah. (laughs) What are you doing getting all those 25 layers off 20 seconds sooner? Seems nefarious to me. (laughs) I just find it so hilarious, the things that were considered scandalous at the time. Like, something I'm going to cover later. You know, like, the waltz? Like, dancing the waltz? Yeah. Scandalous when it happened. What? Yeah. I won't tell you. I'll tell you another time why. But yeah, scandalous. Oh, my God. Scandal. (laughs) So, the drawer's main function was to cover up the bottom bits, obviously. But I can already hear the question being asked by listeners. I can just sense it through the airwaves of this podcast. Okay, Sabrina. (laughs) How did women go to the bathroom? How did they pee? With the drawers? Yeah. Uh, moved it to the side? Well, it would be like little shorts. I know, I'm kidding. <laughs> You're not wrong, though. <laughs> it is a very fair question, of course. Ooh, cut a hole in it. Close. Thank you. Since elastic wasn't perfected or commonly used until the 1900s, and zippers weren't widely used in clothes until the 1930s, our only option was buttons or hooks. And how could you reach under all those layers of skirts to get to the buttons to unbutton? What if you have to go right now? Yeah, no, you know what I can relate? Because, like, sometimes when you wear a one-piece, yeah. like, bodysuit, and they have the button snaps right 
right down there and you're like okay you just whip that off but it's so hard to do them back up yeah don't worry they didn't have to the solution is much much simpler than you think you simply squat and go because drawers were crotchless i love that yeah oh wow built-in ventilation (laughs) (laughs) that's right we've been rocking crotchless panties before panties were even invented wow (laughs) there wasn't like a big hole or anything like that it was more that they just didn't sew up the seam that would be at the crotch Mm. so when you squatted over a chamber pot or privy it would naturally spread out no under the skirt adjusting necessary that's kind of nice yeah you just you just freaking let it go yeah (laughs) if you were to sit on a privy you could either hold up the back of your skirts to sit down or the front of your skirts and sit facing the other way if the privy so allowed so you would have to lift up your skirts but like you wouldn't have to like reach under your skirts to unbutton some buttons or whatever way too much to lift yeah so just literally all drawers anything that was down there for women was crotchless (laughs) I have sewn myself a set of Edwardian drawers that are also crotchless, and it works surprisingly well. I haven't been brave enough to actually put that particular function to use, but if I was ever in a full Edwardian outfit and suddenly needed to go, I would be just fine. (laughs) They're a little different than Victorian drawers, but basically when you're making them, you have the two separate pant legs with the edges finished, and you attach them to the waistband slightly overlapping. Oh, okay. They don't really look to be split when I'm wearing them, unless I have my legs in an unladylike position. (laughs) And even if there's a little slip, the chemise is still covering any scandalous bits because it's knee length, right? So that's like tucked into the drawers. True. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you want to see what I mean, I do have a video on my TikTok of me frolicking around in a set of Edwardian underwear. And there is one part where I twirl and the drawers split open a little in the front. (laughs) But all you can see is the chemise. The set I made is technically not really historically accurate because I used a green cotton for the chemise and decorated with colored trim. At the time, other than corsets, undergarments would always be white, so they were easier to clean. Basically, if needed, you could just bleach the fuck out of them and it wouldn't ruin any dyes. That's why they had to be white. Okay, well, I mean, (laughs) if you make a mess or it doesn't open fully when you're trying to pee. (laughs) I'm sure that happens. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. It always, it seems weird to say to keep it cleaner, they had to keep it white, like to keep it stain free, but it's just so that you could just, just bleach bleach the fuck out of them. Yeah. Yeah. I have one more fun fact about split drawers. They are the reason the can-can was so scandalous when it first started being performed, if you catch my drift. (laughs) Oh, it's such a dad joke. No, I'm, I'm serious though. You know the can-can when they kick their legs up with the skirts? Yeah. Yeah. They were wearing crotchless drawers. That's why everyone was like... Like going, losing their minds over wow. it. Wow. Oh my God. Yeah. When you kicked, like, you, you were saw kicking. her can can. You, you knew did. she could, could. <laughs> okay, that was good. <laughs> yeah, literally, like, I think I think the can can started in, like, sort of like gold mining towns, you know, because mm-hmm. there was, like, so many men up there just, like, shipped in for gold and there weren't many women other than, like, sex workers, honestly, but. Okay, I'm sorry. I just wanted to say uh, we are having a beverage this evening, <laughs> and every time we say the word like, either one of us, we have to look at each other and we have to take a drink. So oh, take two. No. Clara. We've been trying to stop saying like. <laughs> We've been trying to cut down on our likes because it, it gets like a little like out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> like it's so like annoying or something. Like I just can't even like stop. Like, oh my God, like, <laughs> like seriously. 
If we did that, we would be so plastered, dude. Yeah, no. <laughs> so yeah, if if you ever think about like the can can and how that was like this big, you just said it twice. Damn it, Clara, drink twice no. more. Uh-huh. <laughs> Mine's well, non-alcoholic, so I mean, uh-huh. I'm not gonna get drunk anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I just think that gives a lot of. <laughs> I just love when a fact like that can give a lot of context to something else. Like, the like, <laughs> fuck. It's fine. You can just continue. But Jesus, this is going to keep us accountable. I enjoy the fact that a fact such as this one <laughs> could give context to another event. <laughs> oh, slow clap. Grammy goes to Clara Herbert. <laughs> Like, thank you. Oh, my <laughs> like, God. You're welcome. Okay. Like, totally, like, wow. <laughs> like, totally freaked me out of me and ran on. <laughs> so, coming up with the male counterpart to drawers, underpants for men only existed for the higher classes, really. Men's shirts were much longer. Like, they almost... <laughs> Men's shirts were much longer. They went, like, down to their knees. It's gonna happen. <laughs> So they so they kind of tucked them between their legs before they put on their trousers, and that's how they would keep things sanitary, I guess. They would tuck them between their legs. They would tuck their shirts between their legs before they put on their trousers so that their trousers didn't touch their bare... Bottom. ...situation. Yes. Balls. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> okay. Those with more money could afford underpants, which were essentially just white, thin pants that went under your pants. Whatever length your trousers were, so were your underwear. (laughs) What the hell? It was a similar concept to the chemise. You wouldn't want your outer layers touching your skin. I do have a photo of some men's underwear from the mid-1800s. By the way, if I mention an article of underwear in this and I don't show Sabrina a photo, I will have a photo on the Instagram just as an example of each different thing that I mention. I mean, that just basically looks like pajama pants, right? They look like baseball pants. Yeah, they do, actually. With, like, a built-in, like, cinched waist situation. Yeah, I didn't actually... I didn't actually download the photo of the back of these, but it actually had lacing. Not in a corset sense, but just in that you could adjust the size of them. Also, I had to search for a better quality version of that exact photo using Google Lens. And it made me laugh because it was also giving results for modern sweatpants, especially from that brand Free People. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It was showing like Free People, boho, white sweatpants. (laughs) Like not quite, but I mean, those are cute. (laughs) I mean, they were, it was visually similar. Like I don't blame Google Lens for thinking it was the same thing. Oh my God. Another base layer is stockings or hose. Since drawers were split, stockings did not cover the crotch like what we would wear today. They were really just knee-high or over-the-knee socks. They were usually knitted, so they had a bit of stretch to them. But since there was no elasticity, they had to be made more exact to the measurements of your leg and foot, and they had to be held up. Women's stockings went up over the knee and were held up with garters or ribbon, or maybe even would be held up with clips attached to their corset. Hmm. Men's stockings were usually just a bit higher than whatever length of pants they were wearing. There were some periods where men had sort of like pants would fasten just below their knee. So then they'd have longer stockings. Sometimes if their pants were longer, then they could have shorter stockings. Oh. And they had garters to hold them up as well, but they could go above the stocking and clip on to the socks. If that makes sense. Do you have a 
picture? Of the men's garters? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So that's uh, from a catalog oh. showing men's hose supporters. Yeah. Oh. Or should I say hose? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's actually... Gonna, that's interesting. That's weird. I don't know. It looks like a dog collar almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, just think they didn't have elastic. So not only would your socks not stay up, the thing that went around your leg above the socks to then clip on also had to fit you perfectly. It couldn't be elastic. That's so crazy. Yeah. To think like, wow, everything was so different. When I say they were knitted, I mean, there was like silk knitted, cotton knitted, wool knitted. So they, they were they were stretchy like a knit fabric would be, but not it didn't retain the stretch like it didn't snap back like elastic would yeah and you could only get silk stockings if you were like higher class and some some people just didn't have socks at all if they were poor they just wouldn't have socks or stockings oh my god so they just wear shoes barefoot yep oh wow that's gonna smell oh everything smelled (laughs) yeah probably (laughs) not quite as much as people think it did but like it would have been pretty smelly yeah (laughs) Stockings were commonly black or white, but some ladies had very colorful ones with fun designs or embroidery. Of course, they weren't meant to be seen, so technically they didn't have to be, but I love that some women got to have fun with it. Corsets were similar in that they could be fun colors and intricately embroidered. Schmeezes and drawers could have lace and embroidery as well, but I believe that started more around the Edwardian era. Oh, that's weird. You know, to be fair currently bras underwear that kind of thing it's also colorful and fun like we do that too yeah i know we do i'll send you a photo of a catalog advertising different designs the catalog is black and white of course but they would have been really colorful i think it's so fun i just love that like crazy socks have been a thing for a long time yeah it's like i mean if you're gonna wear stuff on your feet i mean might as well make it spicy or fun (laughs) yeah Ooh, that's actually cool okay I like that. There's some stripes. There's some, like, that kind of looks like constellations almost, in a sense. Like, the second one. The third one looks like pine trees from far away. I do need a new prescription in my glasses. (laughs) But. (laughs) But it does look really cool. Really funky. Yeah. The next layer for ladies would be the corset, but I think we have more than covered them at this point. (laughs) Yeah. If you haven't listened to the episodes previous to this, we cover all the misconceptions of corsets and then some. (laughs) The next layer is petticoats or crinolines. They were underskirts to give the desired level of poofiness to the outer gown skirt. And fun fact, Clara actually wears them every day. (laughs) Well, I wear a derivative of them. I do wear a crinoline, but it's like the 50s version of a crinoline, which is different. Like it's more evolved than Victorian petticoats and crinolines would have been. Also, technically, petticoats and crinolines are different, which I will explain. But I don't wear a Victorian crinoline. I will for my wedding dress, though. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm so excited for your wedding, (laughs) side note. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to be making a wedding dress that's, it's not going to be like, I don't want it to be 100% historically accurate, but the silhouette's definitely going to be 1850s, 1860s. So I will also, before I even make the dress, have to make all of these underlayers that I'm talking about so that the outer layer looks proper. You know what? That's kind of good, though, because if you were wearing a crotchless... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God! (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'll... I hadn't actually even considered the logistics of that, and now I'm concerned. (laughs) Um, I don't really want to have crotchless drawers. No, you got to make it historically accurate, bitch, because I will be taking those photos. (laughs) Like... 
<laughs> yeah, actually, I'm going to have to uh, do some thinking on that one because I don't really want to wear crotchless drawers on my wedding day. But that it's just... such good ventilation. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, but like... You're going to be dancing. You're going to be doing the waltz. I'm going to be wearing a huge skirt and the chances that I trip are like higher than normal. <laughs> so... Claire, I would fucking cry. <laughs> I'd be like, I'd be like, oh my god. Well, first of all, I'd like come and jump on you so you, nobody could see. But then second of all, I'd be fucking pissing myself. Oh my god. I would not blame you. <sighs> so talking about petticoats and crinolines, they were underskirts to give the desired level of poofiness to the outer gown skirt. Depending on the decade, the amount of poofiness varied wildly. In the warmer months, petticoats would be a light cotton or linen, but in the winter and colder climates, you might have extra layers of wool or flannel. To give more volume per petticoat, they may have layered frills, were quilted, were corded, which is sewing thin rope between two layers of fabric and a bunch of rings around the petticoat. They could also be starched to make them like stand out more. Oh, okay, kind of like how you make your earrings? Like you have to starch them? Yes, yeah, my, my machine embroidery, yes. Also, just to let you know, Clara does make <laughs> earrings, so you should put that in there. They're fucking so cute, little fairy earrings. Aww. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. I do I do make machine embroidered earrings, and they're very light because they're just made out of thread, because it's just thread that's starched. Good so, yes. For our neurospicy motherfucking asses. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, basically anything to get more floof per petticoat. You would probably combine those with a crinoline, which would be a stiffer but usually heavier fabric, often horsehair mixed with linen. Ew, sorry. <laughs> That's Yo, okay. I'd be sneezing the entire time. I feel like every time I go near horses, like, I just... I'm allergic to horses. That's what happens to me. Yeah, I know, but I don't <laughs> think I'm actually really allergic. I don't know. Like, I think they're just dirty. Oh, no. <laughs> no, because... Hot take. Sabrina thinks horses are gross. <laughs> No, they're majestic. No, but when you rub them and then your hands are all dirty, they're obviously rolling around and stuff or whatever the hell's going on out there. And uh, that's just called being allergic, girl. Okay. Well, but yeah, they actually did use horsehair. I use horsehair braid to make the edges of my skirt stiff, but you do? It is not real horsehair anymore. Oh. At the time it was. Now it's like synthetic. It's not real horsehair anymore, but it's still called horsehair braid, which is confusing. But you really do? But not real horse hair. I know, yes. but it's like looks like hair. No, it's like a netted ribbon kind oh, of. Oh, that's so cool though. Yeah, I do use horse hair canvas sometimes if I'm doing something to do with tailoring. So like the lapel of something, the the collar of like a jacket or something would have horse hair canvas in it, and I believe that still contains horse hair. It, it smells like it still contains horse hair, honestly. <laughs> when you iron that, oh my god, that you, the whole room smells like a barn. <laughs> Ew. Sorry. No, don't be. Just don't include me in that activity. <laughs> in the 1850s, skirts became so floofy, women were fed up with how heavy it was to wear like 10 petticoats and crinolines. So there was a new innovation that women were so excited for, the hoop skirt or cage crinoline. I'm sure you've seen this before, those wired cage-like structures that go under ball gowns. Oh, yes. And even during COVID, did you see that video where um, somebody put one of those on, but they made it huge, like oh. six feet in every direction? Yes. And they, like, they wore it, and everyone's just getting smoked by this huge, like, yeah. cage. You better of... fucking stay away from me in one of those. <laughs> even though the cage crinolines were made of metal, they were still less heavy than the amount of crinolines needed for the same effect. You still needed a few petticoats over top to hide the hoop marks, but this invention meant skirts could get bigger and bigger. Oh my god. 
It wasn't a totally new invention. In medieval Spain, they had farthingales, which had the same structure, but were made of whalebone or reed, same as like corsets. Yeah. But that couldn't hold up the Victorian skirts without breaking. Well, yeah. (laughs) So that's why they started to use steel. In the 1700s, they had panniers, which were smaller cages that just held out the sides of your dress. Picture the time period where they all had, like, white hair or wigs, you know, and they have, like, the side dress, the Mm -hmm. the skirts that just go out to the side only. That was when panniers were used, but again, same thing. They couldn't use steel at the time. It it wasn't feasible, but by the 1850s it was. So now with these steel wire hoop dresses, skirts were crazy big. But since the steel was flexible, they could be temporarily collapsed or slightly bent to accommodate sitting in a carriage or getting through a door. (laughs) (laughs) Getting through a door. Oh, my God. There is a rumor I've heard that skirts got so big because it kept men from getting handsy with women. (gasps) So good. It's like a jail for your bits. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can't really confirm this, but it was certainly a fantastic side effect for large skirts. No, I love that. That's actually so smart. Yeah. Not getting up under there. Not that we need to teach men to just not be fucking creepy or anything. Yeah. But, uh... (laughs) True. But, you know, nice side effect. Yeah. In the meantime. The downside was that there were lots of women catching on fire. (laughs) Pardon? Since candles were their only source of light. So they might bump into a candle and have their highly flammable dress go up in flames. Oh my god, it's like a huge dog that's just so spatially unaware. <laughs> or even me, honestly, turning around and then you're just like, yep. oh my god, I suddenly on fire. Yeah. Oh Jesus. That's actually stop um, drop and roll, but you can't even feel the ground like because it's like so high up in the air. It's like, <laughs> oh my god, that must that would actually be such a good like comedy like physical comedy that thing would be hilarious. trying to roll around stop drop and roll while you're in a in a kind of hoop skirt <laughs> <laughs> i know because the skirt would be like still like a standing so person in the air. yeah <laughs> oh man that's actually you know the banff springs hotel which is kind of close to us springs hotel the banff springs hotel oh my god i heard you know the band springs motel oh. I was like, no, I don't. No, the Banff <laughs> Springs Hotel. Okay, yes. There's, it's rumored to be haunted, and one of the big ghost stories they have there is that there was a bride on her wedding day who was going down the stairs, and her big, her big skirt caught fire, and she died. What? That's one of the like ghost stories there. There's no actual records of it, mm. not to ruin it, but it probably didn't happen. But oh, that's why one of the. Go there and pull some tarot or something. <laughs> Get some dancing rolls. <laughs> How little fun. We tomorrow. Sabrina's on the case. <laughs> I'm on the case. <laughs> In the 1860s, the inconvenience of scoop of scoop hurts. Scoop boot boogie. <laughs> In the 1860s, the inconvenience of hoop skirts meant volume was being taken from the sides and front and pushed back. By the 1870s and 1880s, the cage skirt was exclusively at the back, now called a bustle, giving women the biggest possible booty. (laughs) I love that, not gonna lie. Bustles started out more curved, went out of fashion for like two years, and then they came back more extreme, looking like a shelf. (laughs) Right where your butt begins, just like shelf, straight out, flat. Oh my god, it's like you have a trailer on the back of your, (laughs) your own body. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. Got that badonkadonk. Again, (laughs) no butt pinching. Not allowed. Aw. I love butt pinching. Okay, no unconsensual butt pinching. Oh, no unconsensual butt pinching. (laughs) Fucking good on them. 
After the 1880s, everyone mostly calmed down with the skirts, and by the Edwardian era, a bum pad and a couple petticoats was all you needed. Okay, good. (laughs) Our next layer is the corset cover. Since corsets were boned, they could show through layers of clothes, making them look lumpy and bumpy. Corset covers were just another layer to smooth those lines, and more in the Edwardian era when women started to wear light, lacy, sheer dresses, they also hid corsets from view. Essentially, it was like wearing a tank top under your shirt if you can see your bra through the shirt. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? I haven't worn a tank top since, like, 2011. (laughs) (laughs) I will admit I've slightly adapted the whole, like, only wash the underlayers thing. I wear tank tops now under shirts. I still wash my shirts if they, like, need it, but... I'm admitting that I smell like shit. <laughs> Rude. I'm kidding. She doesn't smell. No, if we're, if we're really going to go there, it's mostly because I get sweat stains on my shirt. So I'd rather have that on a tank top than on my outer shirt because then they last longer. Yeah. I still wash the outer shirt 100%. You know what? That's smart. Maybe I should do that. I sweat a lot. I'm a sweaty gal. I'll yeah. say it right here, right now. I'll say it and I'll say it again. I got uh, extra strength. No, what do we use? Clinical strength deodorant yeah we use the same deodorant yeah deodorant twins bonding (laughs) if you don't use the same deodorant are you even best friends i don't think so also if you needed some help in the bust department and bust padding wasn't cutting it you could wear a corset cover with frills Mm, no frills (laughs) no lots of frills Ooh, frills this was particularly popular when women were wearing S-Ben corsets in the beginning of the 1900s when they were going for that pigeon-breasted look. Ooh, okay. <laughs> pigeon-breasted look. Love that. Yeah, that's what it was called. I know. I don't personally need any extra bust, but when I made my Edwardian corset covers, I just couldn't resist the frills, and I don't regret it at all, mostly. <laughs> yeah you don't need any extra bust girl (laughs) my god those are busting right out (laughs) i mean i did a photo shoot in just the edwardian undergarments so no outer layers and it's really cute then but if i actually try to use it as a corset cover underneath clothes it's a bit much underneath your clothes (laughs) and that is all the layers that would typically be added before even getting to your outside clothes I know it seems like a lot, but each item had a specific purpose. Also, similar to the chemise being washed more frequently, these layers could be washed more often than outer layers, which you really didn't want to wash unless it was super needed. To wash outer clothes, you'd have to remove any lace or trim, as well as all buttons, and then hand sew them all back on once it was clean. Oh my god, that sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. I just threw all my clothes in the washing machine, (laughs) all together, all colors on. I think get cool so that they don't bleed, and then I'm like, I'm good to go. The process that they used for laundry and stuff was fairly intense, honestly. So so they had to remove lace and trim because it was too delicate. And the buttons, the way that they would sort of dry clothes. Have you heard of like a ringer? Like put it through the ringer? Okay, literally I had, it was called a wonder wash. I had one when yeah. I was vegan and zero waste or whatever back then. Oh, day. that's wild. Yeah, you put it in there and you add the soap or whatever and then you spin, you sit oh. there and spin it. No, no, a ringer would be to dry the clothes out. Yeah, you can do that too. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, because yeah. you have water in it one time, and then you can drain it all, and then oh. you can just... Oh! That's like... Oh, so it's like a salad spinner for clothes. That's yes. fun. It was actually super cool. I actually kind of miss it. That's like, You do smart. small batches. You do, like, five articles of clothing. Oh. Like, okay. smaller ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was sick. 
this one is like it was like two rolling pins together and you'd you'd put it through so it would like squeeze all the liquid out so that's why you couldn't have buttons if you want to see a modern recreation of getting dressed in the victorian era i recommend pinsent tailoring for men's fashions he does primarily regency but some victorian as well and for women's fashions check out asta darling she does a bunch of time periods she also has a video of her sitting down in a hoop skirt if anyone's curious as to how that would work hold on wait I'm hearing another question through the airwaves. People are screaming. But weren't all those layers so hot to wear in the summer? (laughs) I vote yes. I mean, sort of. Was it like polyester? We'll get there. I love you. You know where I'm going with this. (sighs) Love you. I love you. (laughs) I think the men that were expected to wear suit jackets outside in the summer were warmer, actually. But even summer suits could be made of lighter fabrics. The key to staying cool when it comes to clothes in general, you know what I'm going to say, Sabrina. Cotton. Yep. Uh Natural fibers. Yes. This is the one myth that I bust the most and have applied to my personal wardrobe as much as possible. Natural fabrics like cotton, linen, wool, and silk actually let air and heat through it. And don't forget, they didn't have sunscreen. So in the summer, you wanted most of your body covered to protect that pasty white skin. (laughs) People of color absolutely wore these fashions too, of course. I just couldn't resist saying that. Oh my god. I know. I found that out the hard way. One time Clara went to um, a ritual with me that I hosted. What was it? Honoring our dark mother Hakate? No. It was a fire ritual of some sort. It was, it was, was it the cord cutting? cutting? Yes. And so I was hosting it and I was like, I'm going to wear a beautiful dress. It was after like a long-term relationship or whatever. And uh, I was like, I want to dress nicely. I want to feel myself. So I wore it. I have a candle cord cutting going on and then we're burning a bunch of shit in the cauldron. And I am literally just drenched underneath. (laughs) I am soaked. And this thing is like almost see-through, okay? Like you can see... right through it and i was like yeah, why it's like am sheer. i so hot and then claire comes up to me she's like is this like this is polyester like you're obviously sweating i'm like what the fuck does that even mean like i'm like literally we're having this side conversation i'm like what the fuck is polyester like what is it what do you mean and she's like it's not breathable and i'm like thank you for telling me that now uh, i i have a memory of mentioning that before you wore it but i told i did tell you to wear it because it was very cute so that's on me too did you say before well maybe i was just like fuck it i've worn it before you know what? I was really hot the first time I wore it, too. There you go. Because it was at a funeral in the summertime. Yeah. Oof. So hot. But yes, I am a huge advocate of natural fibers. <laughs> Fabrics like polyester, acrylic, and nylon may be cheaper and don't wrinkle, but they are plastic. I'm not kidding. Polyester is literally plastic. Do you think you would sweat more in a cotton sweater or a plastic bag? <laughs> When you wear 100% polyester, you are closer to wearing a plastic bag than you are to a sweater. I can confirm that is the (laughs) truth. (laughs) And I'm really not trying to lecture anyone here. I just think most people are unaware because synthetic fibers have been commonly used in clothing since the 60s. Like the 1960s. I guess with this podcast, I have to clarify. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) If you're unsure of the fiber content of your clothing, there is a test you can do, but you'd need to cut a small piece off of the seam. It's called a burn test, and it's commonly used in wardrobe shops. If you burn the fabric and it turns into dust or just kind of ceases to exist, it's natural. If it melts, 
that's got at least some synthetic fibers in it. Yeah. Also, uh, which tip here, if you're going to be doing <laughs> any cord cutting or anything like that, and you're going to be um, tying candles together with rope, make sure it's natural rope, not synthetic, because it literally does melt and it smells and it's just, <laughs> it is not a fun time. Okay. Yeah. Just, just trust Clara on this one. <laughs> I learned the hard way. Oh, <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I really do want everyone to test out what I'm saying this summer. If you're curious enough, if two days in a row, it will be similarly sweltering, wear synthetic clothes one day and natural the next. I guarantee you will notice a difference. I guarantee you should probably bring natural clothes because you're going to cry. <laughs> Just a suggestion. <laughs> it's it's hard to know. Like, all you think is that you're warm in the moment, right? You don't realize that clothes make that much of a difference. No, nobody thinks about that. Yeah. Like, literally, I never would have thought that. I... I yeah, I really, I'm not trying to, like, lecture anyone. I think people, like, I wasn't aware until recently. Yeah, no, it sucks. When I interpreted at the historical park I worked at, I wore all the historically accurate layers that I had made of cotton and linen, and sitting still in the shade, I was very comfortable. I swear to you. Of course, natural fibers aren't a miracle. Like, you're still going to be hot to a degree on a hot day, but it will be much more bearable. <laughs> The last myth I want to bust is not specifically related to undergarments, but I could not possibly squeeze more into the corset notes, ironically. Oh, no. <laughs> it's not directly related to corsets either. Okay. I often hear people say, people were just smaller back then. Not even referring to Victorian times, but like the 50s and even more recent. The reason we think this is because the clothes that have survived and are in good condition are the smallest ones. People have done a lot of comparisons with measurements from the Victorian era and now, and people really weren't that much smaller. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. But think about this. What clothes in your closet are in the best condition? Your favorite t-shirt that fits you perfectly or your prom dress that you haven't fit in since high school? <laughs> your prom dress that you haven't fit in since from high school? Yeah. Not trying to call anyone out, but I'd say that's a very common experience, right? It certainly applies to me personally. The clothes that fit us the best don't last. They won't be around in 100 years for people to measure or sell at vintage stores. I mean, maybe the fabric will remain if it's plastic, <laughs> but they certainly have fallen apart by then. Yeah, no, definitely. So don't beat yourself up the next time you're trying to squeeze into a cute 50s dress in a vintage store and you can't quite zip it up. Most of the cute clothes from the 50s that would have fit most of us have already been worn out by the people that were wearing them in that era. Yeah, no, that's fair. And that's my overview of underwear misconceptions. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you found it as interesting as I do. I really thought these notes would be shorter this time, but this is 10 and a half pages. Um, oops. I didn't even cover some of the things that I thought I could in this one. <laughs> In my defense, historical fashion is kind of my main thing, so I promise I won't be this particular about topics not related to clothes. The majority of this episode and the corset episode I already knew in my head. The resources were mostly just to fact check myself. <laughs> I will definitely cover more about clothes at some point, but I'm going to spread them out from now on. Now I have a spiritual question for Sabrina to answer. Is there any sort of clothing in witchcraft that would be used for protection? Uh, yeah, I would say a veil. For sure. So you could use like a scarf or anything like that. Oh, okay. Um, is that like veil that goes in front of your face? No, or? like a veil that you would put on top of your head. Basically, you want to cover your crown chakra. Like a little bandana kind of? Yeah, like a bandana. Okay, okay. I get them from a thrift store a lot of the time and then I consecrate them. Do like a little ritual around it, add some protection oil that I make. And then, yeah, I use it as like a protection of the crown chakra. So preventing from like any psychic attacks or anything like that. It's very common for witches to wear veils. Okay. But yeah, no, I love doing that. And putting like a braid in my hair, maybe putting the scarf through it. 
Oh, cool. Okay. okay. Yeah. Nice. Well, I like that. Me too. <laughs> or you could even sew like a little protective rune on the inside of your clothing on your tags. Ooh. Yeah, you could put a little, like a little pentacle on the sleeve by your wrist or pretty much anywhere you want or make a sigil, a custom sigil, and then just like stitch it on. Oh, okay. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be really cute. I should, I should do that. You should. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much if you've continued listening. And if you want to hear more about the weirdest aspects of the Victorian era, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can find us at Conjuring Curiosities on Instagram and TikTok. I will have the photos from this episode posted. If you have any suggestions for future topics you want to hear covered, or if you want some spiritual advice answered by Sabrina, send us a DM on the podcast accounts. We also have an email now, conjuringcuriositiespodcast at gmail.com, if you'd prefer to send us questions there. My personal social media accounts are Clara's Vintage Closet on both Instagram and TikTok. If you want to see the videos of me frolicking and all that, that's on TikTok specifically. And mine is Modern Witch Alchemy on Instagram and TikTok as well. Thanks again for listening. And stay curious. Conjuring Curiosities is researched and edited by Clara Herbert with spiritual advice provided by Sabrina the Modern Day Witch. All sources are listed in the show notes. Our disclaimer is written and narrated by John Kennedy and our theme music is Pumpkin Hollow by Pecan Pie.